This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Industry Thought Leader Podcast. Stand out, be heard, influence. Want to influence real change with your message while become known as an authority in your field? Industry Thought Leader Podcast will show you how. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. And welcome to another episode of Industry Thought Leader Podcast, brought to you by Industry Thought Leader Academy, Stand Out, Be Heard and Influence. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, also known as the Podcasting Queen. Now, today, my guest says leadership is the performing art of getting others to willingly work towards a shared purpose. Joining me on today's show is Alar Hunkins. Now, he helps high-achieving people become high-achieving leaders. Now, over his 20-year career, Alar has worked with over 2,000 groups of leaders in 25 countries. Now, in addition to being a leadership speaker, a consultant, a trainer, and coach, Alar is the author of the best-selling Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Stronger Leaders. Now, whether you're a solopreneur or you're a leader of a team, today's episode and his book and his content is certainly relevant for you. And on today's show, he's going to share the top four things that foster innovation and which one is the most important the key thing a leader can do to foster an innovative culture, as well as top tips and tools to get rid of unnecessary complexity. Such an important topic in such an important time. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. I'd like to to get you to share your backstory, if you will, because sometimes the journey can really provide some wonderful context and insights. But around innovation, because innovation often requires going into the unknown. And I've been seeing a lot of content on online about how many, you know, how many people don't like uncertainty. They don't like change. And, you know, in the world today, all of us has been thrust into uncertainty and change change in some form of description. So give us a little bit of your backstory, if you would. Yeah, sure. I, I love that you brought up a sense of that uncertainty. You know, I had this great mentor who said, you know, part of being a leader, and I'd say part of being an innovator, it's about learning how to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It doesn't mean it feels good. It does mean, though, that you start to recognize those signals and reframe them instead of panicking and freaking out is how do you deal with that? 
So in terms of my backstory, yeah, it's interesting talking about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and going into the mess of the creative process. I come from a family of performing artists. Actually, my father's family are all professional musicians. My grandmother, my father's mother, was the first violinist to play, the first woman violinist to play with the Radio City Music Hall Orchestra um, back before they had blind auditions. And my, and my, 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 my dad's sister, his oldest sister, uh, was a cellist. She actually was, a, she, you know who Yo-Yo, Yo-Yo Ma is, right? Everyone knows who Yo-Yo Ma is. Anyway, she used to beat Yo-Yo Ma in cello competitions when they were young. So she became the first uh, cellist in the Cleveland Orchestra for years. And all of which to say is a big part of becoming a professional Art, performing artist, whether it's a musician or an actor and everything, it's about learning to, number one, separate yourself from the work, which is a really tough thing to do. Because on the one hand, you have to have a thick enough skin to not take things personally. But on the other hand, you have to have a thin enough skin to be sensitive and nuanced to what's going on and take the quality very personally. So even there, we're embracing a paradox. So I'm not going to come up with a lot of cookie cutter. It's all this. It's all that answers. I mean, a lot of this is how do we swim in the sea of ambiguity and <laughs> get used to all of that? Yeah. So, so for me, and I actually, I was a violinist for years and then I went on and I trained as a professional actor. So I have all this performing arts background, but I was also very interested in psychology and I got involved with doing group process facilitation. So I was facilitating deep emotional individual process work using psychodrama and doing conflict resolution first in schools and then in corporations. So I've had my hand in playing in all these different things. So, you know, it's not something this career is not something that I would have planned for, but it has definitely emerged over time. And part of it is noticing what's working and to continue to do more of that, which I think yeah. I'm sure you find as an entrepreneur, it's so important to do something. You can't just sit here and think about what the perfect strategy is. You know, I have a sign over my desk. It says progress over perfection every day. Yeah, it's so so true, and I love that you shared that that uh, that story, and I love that I that I uh, I really encourage you to do that because one of the things that I am finding, and I say this all the time, is that you know our experiences and and you know a lot of our innate gifts, and for you it was the creativity, and you are nurtured in that too. Yeah. You know, your creativity has very much become um, part of who you are, how you show up, the journey that you've walked, and 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 beautifully that you said you started doing these things and then you've brought in other aspects of different fields and things that you've learned and how often we take that for granted um, and that that can be the greatest gift the greatest offering and the greatest you know a, a area that you can support others and it's interesting because I'm finding even some of my one of my clients very creative in the arts and she's she's all about bringing that creativity back into the the, the workplace and, yeah. and individual lives because there's something that we've lost within that creative space you know, that ability to just be. And I have found even in myself, when you trust that place and you 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 gather together uh, a group of like-minded people and you sit in that visionary, that dreaming, I mean, let's, status, let's challenge the status quo and then that, oh, you're just a dreamer. Well, guess what? Some of the greatest ideas have come from those people who were there dreaming and yeah. didn't allow, you know, all of these kind of things to inhibit that thought. That is what's going to, to drive that, that whole innovation. So, let's embrace that and bring that out with um yeah with real passion so thank you so let's talk about the top four things that foster innovation which one is the most important but before we do that 
talk to us what your different definition of um, innovation. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah. So my definition of innovation is interesting. So I believe innovation is about doing something in a new or different way that brings value to, we can call it your customer. And that could be your customer could be you depending on how. So I'm going to hold that customer very lightly, but it's around something, doing something new and useful that brings value. And I think I just want to unpack that definition for a moment because a lot of it is simple. I think everyone knows new, okay, hasn't been done. It's not old, it's new. Got it. Useful. I can get my hands around that. It's functional. It's utilitarian. Where I think the definition gets interesting is around providing value. Because mm. that value is very subjective, yeah. right? So I want to share, I was working, so some of my work in innovation has brought me working with different companies and been on focus groups with different companies. So I was working with a company that creates uh, medical products of various kinds. Um, some are kind of home consumer medical products. And one product that they created is they created basically a, a product for the very real medical condition of male incontinence. Now, this, by the way, the people that tend to have the symptoms for male incontinence are uh, men who have had strokes as well as men who have had post-traumatic stress disorder. So you'll get a lot of returning war veterans potentially with male incontinence. So they were doing this focus group for this product. And basically, this is product is worn like an undergarment to deal with the effects of incontinence, right? And so they were doing this focus group and all of the people from the company were asking their customers about the usefulness. So did it fit? How is the absorbability? All this stuff. And one of the guys had been a war vet and he'd come back and say, you guys don't get it. You don't get it at all what my issue is with your product. And you're talking about all this. No, no, you don't understand. See, when I go in and in the US, we would call them like CVS or Walgreens, one of those large retail, you know, pharmacy chains. So when I go into my local CVS, do you know where I have to go to find your, your product? It's right in the middle of the feminine hygiene aisle. How do you think that makes me feel? And then he said, and if that wasn't enough, he said, I have a three-year-old at home and just got out of diapers. Your product looks exactly like those diapers. How do you think that makes me feel? So again, this value had nothing to do with the actual functionality of the project. So here's a cool thing that the company did. They realized, okay, well, we can talk to the drugstores and have them move it in the aisles, move it somewhere else. That was an easy fix. The other one was interesting because to produce the finished product, they had to do an extra step of bleaching the product white. Right. So what they stopped doing, they stopped that last step and they rebranded it with a kind of natural gray color. So it looked different, didn't look like a diaper. And over the course of the next year, sales went up by 300 percent just with those two changes. So it's, again, understanding value is a perceptions business. And so for us as potential innovators, you know, I always love and I have to I'll go to Jeff Bezos on, on this one. And you probably have heard the story, but when Amazon started, they used to have meetings and they'd bring in the empty chair and the empty chair represented that that was the customer. So as you are thinking about all this innovating, remember, who is the person you are trying to create the value for as opposed to I think this is neat. You know, the world has been littered with products from engineers who like, oh, we could put this bell and this whistle and this function and that, you know, and at the end of the day, frankly, most of us, what we want is ease of use and simplicity. I mean, hence again, why Apple has done so well with so many of their products, because that simple, that simple aesthetic is such a key component of everything they do. Brilliant. I love that uh, example that you shared too. I think examples often bring home the principle 
that we want to share. And then we can start to recognize. I mean, that's a creative process too, isn't it? We get our creative juices flowing. Have you heard a lot of the, um, I think it was called the Disney process. You know, actually Walt Disney brought this into his team and he had three different specific processes where he'd get people around the table and he'd go, well, now we're in the visionary, we're in the dreamer stage. Let's just think of lots of different ideas and everyone would bring that to the table. And then what they would do is they would say, what well, now we want to go into the realist. Let's have a look at some of these dreams. What would the realist say? What would, how would they challenge yeah. that? What would yeah. they bring up? And then the last process was looking at it through the eyes of the critic. Now looking at that and then once the critic had identified some steps, well, let's go back to the dreamer and we'll problem solve that way. So I think what often happens is we, we only look at it through the lens of a specific area, you know, whether it be the dreamer or the, the, the visionary, the, the realist or the critic. But so often we go to the critic or we run off. And one of the examples that we had was someone said, you know, we always have trouble with spaghetti on our forks and yeah. we sit there whining. We would save time by creating forks that were actually had that spiral, but they never asked, well, why would we want that, that perceived value? Yeah. They went ahead and produced, and I think there was like, I don't know how many thousands sitting in a factory that had absolutely no use. So yeah. creativity is fantastic. Innovation is fantastic. But there are some things that you want to spend some time on to yeah. really going to, to, to land. So Yeah. Well, what's so interesting is you described that Disney process. If you look at, you know, I've studied the history of innovation. And so there was a guy named Alex Osborne. He, and he had this, uh, he was one of, BBDO was an advertising company, and he was the O in BBDO, Osborne. And he is known as kind of the father of brainstorming. And through his work, and they, they started the uh, Center for Creative Problem Solving, and it's, it's gone on since then. It's sort of rebranded a couple times. But my point here is that there is a creative problem solving process. And much in the same way that if you're familiar with DISC or Myers-Briggs or any of these personality profiles, is that we all have preferences for certain types of things, right? If you're an introvert or extrovert, it doesn't mean you can't do the other thing. It just means that it drains you. And if we look at the creative problem solving process, we all have our preferences that there's actually four key components in the creative problem solving process. And the first, and again, I'll, I'll go through all of them and they're all important and they all are iterative. So it's not like it's linear, you get done. I mean, it might be that you go back, like you were saying, oh, here's a critic, let's go back to visioning. So the first phase they call clarifying. So first of all, what is the problem? Are we clarifying what the problem is? And some people love to clarify problems and some people go, oh my gosh, I would, I, let's just get started, can't do this. So once we clarify what the problem actually is, the next phase is ideation. So let's generate a whole bunch of ideas. And the goal here is we're striving for quantity. We want wild ideas. We want ideas that would get us fired because right now we're not doing anything other than coming up with as many different ideas that could potentially address this problem as possible without judging them in any way. And what we find is that the low hanging fruit gets picked first and then we kind of go through this desert phase and then we come out and come up with some really cool, wild, innovative stuff. Then once we have all the, the, ideated, the, the ideation and the, all the ideas, we want to go through the ideas and start to what we call the developing phase, which is now start to put it through some kind of criteria, you know, whether it's what's the ease of use, the cost to implement, et cetera, to figure out how do we separate the great ideas from the good ideas, from the lousy ideas, from the horrible ideas, right? We want to start to rank those in some way. And then that's, that's the third phase. And then the fourth phase is to implement. Mm -hmm. So we have to go ahead and do, do something with that. And what we might find is when we start to implement, we learn something and we go, oh, now we have new information and we go back somewhere else, back to clarify, back to ideate. Back. So anyway, 
that's the, what we see. If you look at almost everyone's who kind of talks about this is my change model. Underneath it, you're going to see clarify, ideate, develop, and implement almost everywhere because that's what we do as humans. So I wanted to call that out for the audience because it's such a useful framework. And I know for myself, I mean, there's a, there's a tool called Foresight. It's F O U R S I G H T. It's a company. They actually do a profile where you can go through and get an ass- assessment in this. My wife is actually certified in this. She actually has a master's in creative problem solving. So this is where I learned all this stuff. Um, and so the idea is like, I know that I prefer implementer. You know, notice I didn't say I am an implementer. That's the crutch. Like that's the label. Like I'm an extrovert. I know I prefer implementation, which means that when we're like in the idea phase, I'm like, I want to take something and just get started and doing it because I am so much more comfortable doing things that way. Other people are not. So it's just a good thing to start to reflect for all of us. What is your preference around creative problem solving? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, why label ourselves? Um, you, you you sit beautifully in that zone, of course. Um, yeah. but it doesn't mean that you're not able to to sit in the other the other areas too, which is wonderful. Let's talk about you know kind of the top four things that foster in innovation. I mean, I know that some of the things that you've already spoken about certainly you have to have, um, yeah, you have to have the openness to to be yeah. able to do that. But you know, let's talk about some of those things and maybe even in in aspects of of that. There may be some aspects that you can really see as a leader. And even if we're, we're kind of creating an environment, even if we are on our own or yep. only have a small team, there may be some things that you see leaders doing that yep. stops that whole process. So let's unpack this. Sure thing. So the four things, and this, this is great. And it's great that we actually frame this with the creative problem solving process because now people have that bedrock to stand on. So the first thing is, do you have a strategy? You know, so many people talk about, we want to innovate, but what's your why? What is it you're actually hoping to achieve from this? So innovating for innovation's sake, well, what are you going to get to with that? So we need to have a strategy for sure. And then the next thing around another key component to innovating is ideas. That is not just coming up with them, but do we have a process for how we're going to take those ideas and start to incubate them? You know, which ones are we going to start to develop now? Which ones are we not, right? So in terms of that, which leads to the third one, which is around process, Right. So what is our process for moving ideas into we can call it beta or experimentation or prototyping? Do we have some kind of a process to be able to do something with those ideas, given the resources and the capacity, the capability, whether it's time, money, people, et cetera, talent? We want to do that. And then the fourth one is around the climate. Have we created a climate for innovation that people can really thrive and so I do a lot of training with leaders in organizations that all say, we want to be innovative. I mean, if I have yet to meet an organization that says, we don't actually want innovation here. Because clearly, this is the competitive advantage for 2020 and beyond, and it has been for some time. So if I was to say, of those four, strategy, ideas, process, and climate, which is the most important? Surprise, surprise, it's climate, mm-hmm. right? Because without that, it's like if you don't have the right to use a gardening metaphor here, if you don't have the right soil, it doesn't matter what seeds you put into it. They're not going to take fruit. Right. And that's and, and so this is why, you know, if we look across change efforts, why they say that somewhere between 80 to 85 percent of change efforts fail. And John Cotter, who is a professor at Harvard and is kind of considered the world's foremost eminent authority on change. He wrote a book called Leading Change. He wrote change fails. It's not because of strategy or process. It's always as a result of changing the behavior of people. So it's creating this climate. And so in my work, particularly with leadership, I look at what are the elements? Because everyone goes, okay, I get that. Now, 
I'm, I'm a practical guy. So you say, okay, Alain, thanks for that. What do I do now? You're saying I have to create a climate. I'm not a gardener. I'm a leader. What do I do? So I've broken climate into four key components mm. that, I, that I think are really important. The first is safety. People need to feel safe, both physically safe and psychologically safe. Yeah. You know, if I say to you, and I, I've said this to many, you know, hundreds of groups, have you ever been witness to an idea assassination? Everyone laughs, right? Because we all know what that's like. Yeah, I know, you know exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, like an idea, right? You're in a meeting and someone's like, we tried that before. Done. Ugh, right. Or that'll never work. That's too expensive. Right. Shut down. And you can see people just shut up, right? Yeah. We have to realize that new ideas are like small infants and we love our little infants and like you have to be really delicate with these infants and so we have to be gentle and so the first thing around this is them to speak up and there's all sorts of I mean, if we had more time i can go through all sorts of tools and techniques on how to create more safety i mean the general principle here behind it is you have to lead with positive intent is that you have to welcome people and it helps to model this is that right now realize we're not implementing anything and at this point in the process every idea is a good idea if only because someone had it maybe it's the most wacky crazy stupid idea you ever heard and you can say emory thanks for the idea thank you because really there's no there's nothing lost by you not having to shoot it down. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing, and there's nothing gained by doing so, but there's a huge cost if you start to shoot it down because maybe Anne-Marie's next, your next idea or the one after that, because it doesn't, the, the problem with idea assassination is it doesn't have to happen to you to affect you. If you, you see, oh, that's the way ideas are treated around here. <laughs> I'm keeping mine to myself, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, one thing that I heard from the example that you shared about the, um, you know, the, the, the incontinence, um, yeah. had they not followed that idea and taken it further, it would yeah. never have gotten to where it is. And so the idea that someone may share may never have the opportunity to be pulled apart and to be twisted and, and whatever it is. Exactly. The, of the eyes and the, oh, you know, and, and I think we need to be very careful about how we approach it and say, that is a fabulous I idea. Let's, let's, let's dive into that. Or, or as you say, maybe say, look, let's write that down because I love that idea at the moment. We'll, we'll move through these things, but at the end of today, maybe we can unpack that or that yeah. kind of thing, how you approach that yeah. is going to, to foster or yeah. one of um, keeping quiet. Exactly. And what you're talking about here, Emery, and this is another principle of creative problem solving, is that there's two main phases to all this. The, and I'll use a little diagram with my hands. The first phase we'll call the diverge phase. When you're generating ideas, we are wanting to diverge and like come up with as many. So we're striving for quantity. We're not worried about if anything is good. So yes, that's a good idea. Because what we know and all the science will tell us is the best way to come up with the best ideas is to be able to choose from the biggest pool of ideas. Right. There was some, there's been some great research done and I'll give you one example. They had a group of pottery college level art students doing pottery and they said, okay, you will one, they, they broke them into two groups. Group one, your final grade is going to be judged on the quality of your best piece of work. Okay. That's it. Group two, you're going to get judged on the quantity of all the work you do, not the quality just the sheer quantity of work. Okay, that's group two. Now at the end, they'd had all the work and they had a group of judges deciding who had the best work. 
which group do you think came up had the best quality of work between group one, which was judged by quant- quality, and the group two was quantity? Who do you think had the best work? Quantity. Of course. Of yeah. Course. Because it's quantity. You- Growing and keep perfecting and keep changing. Exactly, because it's all about progress. It's about you, you're learning. This is about learning, and I think for entrepreneurs, this is so important. Right? Why you have to keep doing something, something different every day, and learning, and then going, what's new? I mean, I'm doing this in my business constantly. You know, we're all, and you know, particularly this year. I mean, you know. <laughs> Last year, this wall was not painted this color and that light was not there. I mean, I have gone from face to face to virtual. I mean, this is all, you know, the home studio figuring this all. I mean, we're all having to reinvent ourselves. So this is a whole key component is that converge, sorry, it's diverge. And then after we diverge, then it's converge. That's coming up and selecting the best out of the best. And that's having those criteria. And so if we try to do both at the same time, and I'm sure you've had this experience, it's like trying to write a term paper in university where you're writing and editing yourself at the same time, where it takes you three hours to write a single paragraph. Because what you have to do um, and I'll, I'll, I'll change her word slightly is when you're, when you're in the ideation phase, you have to take the breaks off and you have to let yourself go and be comfortable with a really messy, ugly first draft. It's like, I'm just putting it out there because it's so much easier to edit and refine and change things later. But until you get that first draft out there, it's in your head. You're like, uh, 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 and you're suffering from that slave of the perfectionistic mindset. Like, oh, I want to get it perfect. And the problem that we have when we see all those wacky, crazy ideas that have come to fruition, whether it was the Dyson vacuum cleaner or that all we see as the consumer is the end result. We didn't see the iterations. We didn't see, and we tend to judge things from the end. What we don't see is the process. So to become better innovators, we have to learn how to fall in love with the process, which involves getting messy. And I know when I, you know, I've written a book and I know that I have to go through the ugly phase. There's no other way. And I'm like, oh, I'm in it and I can feel it. I'm like, I'm in the ugly phase. Yes. I would love to say it gets better. And it does because it just gets more familiar. I wish it would go away. It's, you know, people say, oh, do you like writing? I say, I like having written. Right. There's a difference. (laughs) There's a difference between those two things. So anyway, um, I know we're kind of taking you slightly off track. So we're talking about the four things, right? We want to go back to your big question. So safety is number one, right? So we talked about, and I think this is critical, you know, and why I'm spending so much time on this is because without safety, you really can't progress beyond. Mm -hmm. So learning how to create a safe environment for people. And by the way, this is true for leading teams. It's the number one factor. Google did a whole study on this. Number one factor is psychological safety that people have to feel that they can speak up that they have equal amounts of airtime that they're not going to get shut down we all know teams where one or two people dominate and those really aren't teams they're kind of they're functional groups mm-hmm. so that's number one safety another key component for innovation and this is true for leadership as well is energy we've got to give people an environment where they are energized and unfortunately particularly in our organizational environments there are a lot of people doing a lot of stupid stupid stuff right whether they're stupid meetings whether they're stupid reports whether they're just having to process batches of emails that mean nothing you know something like 61 percent of our time is eaten up on average with meetings and emails 
And so how much time does that leave you to actually get to the work that matters? It's something like five and a half hours a week we get out of 40. So we have to, if we want to create a climate that's going to foster innovation, is how do we kill those stupid rules? How do we get the stupid stuff out of the system and simplify things? So I'm a huge believer in the practical. Like my book has got a whole chapter on making things simple. Like Mm -hmm. here's 25 things to make meetings simpler. Here are 20 things to make email simpler. Because you know what? Not everyone needs to be copied on everything. Yes, technology enables us to do that. But one of my rules with technology is just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Yeah, it's so easy. So so important. Uh, just allow, we've got Dean Sprague here saying, I love brainstorming sessions. And, and yeah. thank you for, for sharing that. And, you know, you, you're talking about kind of fostering this culture and then also getting rid of some of those unnecessary yeah. complexities. We know with creativity, and I don't know, maybe this is just me, but when you talk about energy, you need to create a space that allows that, that energy and those ideas to flow and sometimes it's not just as easy as okay we've got five minutes to do to do and it's kind of like okay nah i got nothing so it it really is as you said getting rid of all of those things that can inhibit people because do you find though that a a lot of times organizations don't recognize that some of these unnecessary complexities is stopping their teams individually and then also collaboratively from coming up up with some of these wonderful ideas that could just be the solution for the challenge that they're faced. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I found early in my work and I was doing a lot of work with innovation workshops and what, and a colleague and I who were working with these things, people say, you know, all these tools that you're teaching us are great, but the problem is our lives are so overloaded with this unnecessary complexity that we don't have time to use these ideas to get to the work that matters. So these two things go hand in hand, which is why we have to create energy. And, you know, I love the comment. I love brainstorming sessions. We have to realize that different people are wired differently. So when it comes to brainstorming, brainstorming. In fact, they would say, first, it's really useful to let people brainstorm individually on their own. And some people actually need time the day before just, you know, not everyone's like, okay, what are your best ideas? Go in a group, go like some people can do that. And and yes, there's a place to, you know, to build on the ideas of others. But some of us need that quiet, alone, reflective time to think and meditate on this before we can come out. And so as leaders, again, this is why we have to be such students of psychology and understanding that different people think and and act in different ways and creating environments that allow all people to be included because one or two people aren't going to be able to have all the great ideas. So that's, that's another big piece. Look, you know, everything that we're talking about today, and I know we've just really scratched the surface, but I think where we're at within, um, you know, when we think about all different industries, all around the world, this is something that is no longer a would be nice to have. This is so important because as we know, and we've heard that we're saying before, you know, uh, things change so quickly. There's so much uncertainty. Organizations need to be, and the the word that I'm looking for escapes me, but they need to be responsive to to have insight, but also foresight. And and often foresight and insight comes from hindsight. And we need to foster a team of people who are always kind of shifting and, and and, and being able to to always come up and problem solve and, and something that you said and I want to just I wanted to speak into this as well that we know with innovation we know with um, new ideas there comes a risk that hey maybe that idea 
won't work out as well as what we had expected, but create a culture and foster a culture of, you know what, we're going to give it our best shot, but we're going to go with didn't work out so well. Let's also embrace that, but let's take the learnings from that. Because the second time, because what you shared about the the quantity of of, of products rather than the quality, yeah, yeah. The, you know, and entrepreneurship is all about risk taking and yes. and trying something and working on the back of failure, failing forward yeah. with that. So talk a little bit about that because I think often as leaders too, and that this is sometimes because we don't, you know, and oh no, it didn't work. That we're going to have to go through all of this. We need to be mindful as well to be, be able to embrace those failures, but allow our team, okay, how are we going to, what, what what can we learn? What can we put in place? Talk a little bit about that because that's something that I think a lot of organizations struggle with too. Very much so. And in some ways, Henry, that does go back to climate, right? Because much in the same way that people shoot down ideas, how do we respond to, and I'll put it in quotes, air quotes, a failure, right? What does failure mean? Just, oh, like, like, oh, that's, it just means that we haven't figured it out yet. I love this idea of, and the person that talks about this great is Carol Dweck. If people haven't found out about who Carol Dweck is, her classic book is Mindset. And she talks about the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, has completely embraced her ideas and changed the Microsoft culture when he came in. And she talks about this idea of, wouldn't it be great that if someone didn't pass a grade in school, that instead of getting fail, you got a not yet, right? Just think about how different that makes you respond. If someone says, hey, I'd like to try to get certified in this thing. And somebody said, thank you for your, your audition, your performance. And our, our judgment is not yet, right? It's like that, that this shows you that you're on a continuum as opposed to fail, you know, this fixed mindset moment in time, you are never going to be capable. Yeah. And I think as leaders, we have to create organizations that are filled with a lot more not yet and a lot less failure, right? And so how do we support people in that? Because no one, no one, otherwise we're going to be stuck. And yeah. you, and I think also, as you said, not only are things becoming more nimble as both as employees and as customers, our expectations are going up and up and up and up. You know, it's amazing, you know, and this is, you know, I go back to Amazon, you know, because we all know what one click means now. Like if I can order with one click, whenever I'm somewhere going, why does this take 30 clicks? This is ridiculous. Like I can do one click. I mean, there are other websites I would rather buy things from, but if I have to enter all my information and do, it's like, I'm sorry, but what, so it's all about removing the friction from the system. Yeah. And so as we think about these things, you know, both externally for our customers, but internally for our people, what are we doing to remove the friction? Why? And, and this is the willingness. Like if we had to replace ourselves with a group of consultants who saw all of our workflows and our processes, how many of those workflows and processes would stand up to the scrutiny of why are you doing this? Because mm. we've always done it that way, right? So it's the willingness to kill those stupid rules and to kind of think about doing things differently. Yeah. I have a rule that, you know, stupid rules, they're meant to be broken and yeah. challenged. Yeah. You know, um, and only the rules. I mean, obviously, within the context of an en environment, yeah. um, you you can create some wonderful parameters, guidelines that you know. You know, within that, go for your life. Let's change. This. I love this comment that Lourdes said. Let me share this. Incentivizing some real good ideas, recognizing uh, recognition of idea owners can motivate employees to participate, um, which is true, isn't it? And that's one yeah. of the ways that we can certainly um, encourage people to. 
to to do that. So thank you for for commenting and, and leaving leaving that comment. Um, I know that we've, as I said, only just scratched the surface, and I love this. I mean, uh, when you talk about brainstorming, it's like. When did we get started? You know, yeah. but something which I think is all organisations need, need to to recognise too, and this kind of fits in beautifully to what you you've already said, but around kind of the complexities and the the structure and the format is recognising that everybody who was participating, we are all different in the way that we, you know, in, in the our expectations, the way we do our best work. Some of us like to brainstorm and do things on our own together and as to recognising and not judge and not put your what works for you on top of, you know, the expectation that that's how our team will do that. And when we recognise and create a space that allows people to show up as they do their best, yeah. then that is 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 certainly going to be helpful as, as well. And I love the way that you said the not yet, because guess what? The nuances of who made who who makes you you yeah. is just not suited to that environment. But guess yeah. what? When you step up on that stage, this is where you're going to shine because it's the right time, right space, right place for you and in, in, in what you bring to the to the yeah. table. And I think, you know, creating a, a, an environment that fosters that is fantastic. Look, I know that you've got um, a way to connect with you and you've got something special coming up. Would you share that before we finish the show? Sure. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Yeah. So a couple ways people can connect with me. So I have this book that came out that gets into a lot of this stuff that we've been talking about. The book's called Cracking the Leadership Code, and you can actually find it at www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. You can read all about the book. You can actually download the first chapter right there. And if you like that, you can order it from there or Amazon or anywhere else with one or two clicks. Um, and then the other thing is that takes you right to my website. Now, one of the things I was mentioning to Anne-Marie before we went on air is I am launching on October the 5th, a 30-day online leadership challenge, basically taking the principles from the book and using principles of positive psychology and habit formation and gamification. We're basically being able to do this with an online community, a closed community in something between five and eight minutes a day. It's going to be great. There's information on my alanhunkins.com website if you just scroll down to 30-day challenge. But one offer I wanted to make for anyone watching live or getting hearing this before October, actually before September 28th when registration closes, is I'm making four spaces available um, to listeners of this particular show. So if you're interested, um, we'll, it, we'll do a raffle for anyone interested and we'll close the raffle up on September 25th in case you don't hear it live. So it's not first come, first serve. They'll get yourself in there first and just email me. Um, my name is Alain, A-L-A-I-N, at Alain Hunkins. That's A-L-A-I-N-H-U-N-K-I-N-S.com. So email me, Alain, at AlainHunkins.com and basically put in the subject line, Anne Marie Cross ticket, and then just write like I'd like a spot in 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 your challenge, and then you will be entered into the raffle. And if we have four people, then you've got a spot. But if we have more than four people, I'll do a random number generator, and we'll pick four from this. But wanted to share that out with you, and you can read all about the challenge on the website as well. Yeah, well, wonderful. Thank you so very much. Can I just ask you just randomly because I'm just interested as my show and I can. <laughs> what, your name, LR, with the spelling, is that French? Yeah. 
It is. It's a French name. My mother is from Brussels, Belgium. She grew up French speaking. So Alain is one of the most common names you'll find in a French speaking country. I have an older brother whose name is Serge. And I grew up in Flushing, Queens, right in New York City, where not really people could call me Alain. But uh, yeah, for a while I went by Alan, but it never really fit. So I'm an Alain. So there you go. There, there you go. Well, you know what? I'm glad that I asked uh, how you pronounce your name right at the beginning of the show because yeah. I've been through a whole show and then at the end of it, after we've stopped recording, they go, actually, it's pronounced so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm glad you got that. But loved today's conversation. I know that many people who've been listening um, have gained some insights from that. But, uh, you know, cracking the leadership code, grab the book, grab, um, you know, registration and, and put your name forward for what what I'm sure is going to be an incredibly, um, yeah, just amazing 30 days, especially when you add gamification into it because studies have showed, you know, that kind of that gamification. People love that. There's something yeah. really really inspiring about that too and we, we're hearing if you can incorporate some of that within the work that you do it's almost come a, a little bit of competitiveness in there too isn't there is that got something to yeah oh yeah i mean i don't know about you I, i'm on I, I, i'm on this language app you may have duolingo i've been learning foreign languages and i have this 658 day streak and i cannot break my streak at this point and then every week i'm in a new cohort with new people and if i don't stay at worth in the bottom 10 i get demoted to the next league it's amazing how they have all these different things to keep me engaged in the practice. Yeah, yeah. Right? My, my daughter has got that on um, on Snapchat. You know, they have those streaks. Yeah. Said, What's the streak? Because oh, they, they were talking, I've got this 435-day streak. I said, what is that? And they have to take a picture of that. But it's like that, isn't it? And if you can incorporate that into some of the things you're doing, it, yeah. it really yeah, uh, does does work well. We we would start a whole other show if we started exactly. that exactly. topic. And I know that it's uh, in the afternoon evening for you. Yeah. So better sort of the time that that we don't want to take up any more of your time. But get onto the challenge. Get a copy of of Elan's book. And um, thanks once again for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure, Anne Marie. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Industry Thought Leader podcast. Brought to you by Industry Thought Leader Academy. Stand out, be heard, influence. Want to stand out, be heard and become an influential voice in your industry? Access our free 5-day Money, Marketing and Mindset Boost Masterclass. Go to www.industrythoughtleaderacademy.com forward slash masterclass. That's industrythoughtleaderacademy.com forward slash masterclass. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.